through the pandemic shutdown, the Penguins' playoff roster looked pretty much as set it could be. But is it? Morning. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio, where you can find this particular program every Monday through Friday, bright and early. And if you set us up for automatic downloads, we'll be waiting for you on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, everywhere that podcasts are available. We're in all of them. Always free. Happy to have you today. I was at uh, the Penguins scrimmage yesterday. I was about to say practice. It was a scrimmage. It was uh, as close to a game situation as you can possibly pull off right now. And remember that the Penguins are operating with three quarters, a little bit less than that actually, of a full roster for training camp uh, because of the nine players who've been missing through all of this out of an abundance of caution, to quote the team related to coronavirus. They brought those guys back, but they still couldn't throw them into the scrimmage yesterday. They were over practicing on the other rink. Patrick Hornquist, of course, being the headliner of that group. Good to see them. Good to just lay eyes on them, by the way. But the scrimmage itself, it's rough. I'm not going to lie. This is not great hockey. To some extent, you understand it because... It's nine players to a side. Uh, they're rotating two lines and two defense pairings and just going at it again and again. Mike Sullivan uh, and Jacques Martin were keeping a stopwatch on the bench. The players would come over after a certain whistle and hang around for 45 seconds to simulate a third-line shift, but they were really hunched over there toward the end. That said... There were a lot of bad decisions, a lot of sloppy passes. Uh, the skating was mostly good, but the execution, the stuff with the puck, not at all. Uh, not pretty. And there are some decisions to make. And those decisions will be made that much more challenging, I think, by the low level of hockey that we're currently witnessing and what has to be Really low expectations for the final two scrimmages the Penguins are going to have before they leave for Toronto. It was supposed to be one. They added another one, which was a really good idea, by the way. That was announced also yesterday. The decisions that are in place have to be made in a way that Sullivan isn't appearing to play favorites or basing something on history. And I know as soon as I say that, 99% of the Pittsburgh hockey fandom who'd be listening to this will flip right away to the goaltending. Got to be talking about the goaltending. Actually, not in this case. Although it applies to making sure that you take the best slash right goaltender out of Matt Murray slash Tristan Jari for game one against Montreal. But it also applies to other guys too. Here's why I bring this up. I'm watching Sam Lafferty and Evan Rodriguez really, really performing well. 
And I know nobody wants to hear about these guys because it's not who you'd want to hear. So-and-so looks great. Well, Evgeny Malkin also looks really, really good. So I'm not being a weirdo here. I'm not finding guys that are obscure on purpose. But Sam Lafferty is standing out. He's visible on every single shift. Partly because he's one of the few guys bumping bodies, which is an easy way some might argue a cheap way to kind of stand out in a training camp setting. That That's more of an old school thing than new school. But he's also been on the puck. He's made really good, quick decisions with the puck. He's looked a lot like the Sam Lafferty, who you'll recall came up as a rookie way back at the original beginning of this season on that road trip through St. Paul and Winnipeg when we thought, wow, this kid's going to be a star. He's been very, very impressive. Maybe it's just a short-term spurt. Maybe he's just, I hate to say this in a short training camp setting, but maybe he's just trying harder than everyone else. You'd hope that wouldn't be the case because this isn't an ordinary training camp, but maybe it is. Maybe those guys that know that they've got to do a little bit extra just to make the lineup will push that much harder. But where the decision becomes really complicated for Sullivan is he's not just in a position to reward good performance or immediate performance without knocking somebody else out of the lineup. We're going to make decisions that we think are best for the team. And, you know, as I tell you guys all the time, the decision that, that, that or, or the responsibility I have as the head coach is to, is to put the guys on the ice that we think give us the best chance to win each and every night. And that, that's really the criteria that we use. That's the, the question I always pose to the coaching staff. And we try to drill down into the details and, uh, and, and try to make the best decision. Let's say that Lafferty keeps this up. Let's say that he just keeps flooring people and uh, generating all kinds of offense, being responsible enough in his own end. He, he's not a great defensive winger. And let's say that Evan Rodriguez, who's had the benefit over the last couple of days of filling in for Sidney Crosby on the first line, so he's had a couple of pretty good wingers. But you know what? When Jake Gensel made a terrific pass to spring him for a mini breakaway yesterday, Lafferty just undressed Tristan Jari. Which isn't all that easy to do. Jari's having a really good camp himself. If these two continue performing as they do, and no one else gets hurt, no one else gets the virus, whatever else, however that works out, where do you put them? Who do you bump? This is one of the, the, the strange things about this roster. You know, and we were talking about this back when Dominic Simone was still in play and Nick Bukestad, the Penguins were going to have as many as five, six forwards who could be playing for them as healthy scratches for game one. Obviously, Simone and Bukestad are, are gone. Sid, you would think, is going to be back. There's every indication of that. Hornquist, I don't know. I just, it, maybe he'll need some time to get up to speed. I mean, he didn't even participate in this scrimmage. Now, knowing Hornquist and knowing the way he trains, he's going to be in immaculate condition. But is that game condition and is that prime game condition for game one. Look, I'm going to say this again. I'm not being weird. I'm not advocating that you throw out Patrick Hornquist and put in Sam Lafferty. I'm saying how hard this is. 
it's a challenge. Coaches do have to plan for guys getting hurt for injuries, and and they never hope for those injuries to happen. But they also have to look at this situation with these couple of forwards who are doing really good things and say, where, where could they go? What could we do if we wanted to? A regular team with a regular set of forwards and forward line combinations, you bump the fourth liners. Can't do that on this roster. I'm sorry you can't. The fourth line on this team is set. It's as close to set in stone as you get, meaning, of course, Teddy Bluger between Zach Aston Reese, Brandon Taneff, all three of whom, by the way, are having a good camp. And yesterday had one of the best overall shifts of the scrimmage, generating six shot attempts, four of those on goal, two of them from point-blank range. That was one shift. It was against the Malkin line. But it was really, really impressive. Those guys are good at that sort of thing. You don't mess with them. You don't mess with them. So where else are you looking? First line? I mean, what are you going to do? Bench Jake? I mean, Connor Sheary isn't anyone's favorite around here. He doesn't score all that much. And he'd better make the most of the opportunities that he gets on that first line because he's not effective or as effective at the other parts of the game as Simone is when he's on the first line. Sherry actually does have to score up there. Second line, Malkin, Rust, Jason Zucker. (laughs) Who are you taking out? You know, it comes down to the third line. It really does. It comes down to Jared McCann, Patrick Hornquist, Patrick Marlowe. Marlowe, by the way, uh, at age 40, popped a couple of goals yesterday. And more impressive to my eyes than that was the fact that he was just flying through the neutral zone. He was backing the defense off. And that's something that Chris Letang, uh, in answering one of my questions early on in this camp, brought up on his own, said hey, he anybody who thinks he doesn't still have his speed needs to watch what he was trying to do to me today. Marlowe is going to be – so what are we looking at here? We're looking at McCann and Hornquist. McCann or Hornquist. Is either of those realistic? <sighs> Again, Hornquist would have to be about the lack of uh, being able to play right away. That would be the one and only thing that would bump Hornquist. And that can't be ruled out. But that said, it's we're still, you know, 11 days away from the drop of the puck between the Penguins and the Canadians. He has time to catch up. Jared McCann, though, is a variable. Jared McCann, of course, hasn't scored in 100 years. 22 games, I believe, was his streak to end last season. He's not He's not a great defensive center. Uh, I'm being nice when I say that. I, I don't see him as being all that conscientious or aware of the rink defensively. He's not particularly good on faceoffs. And he's not going to kill penalties for you. You following where I'm going here? Yeah, it's not Lafferty. It's Rodriguez, uh, the coaches, all of them, the ones we've spoken with, have been effusive about Rodriguez. He's gotten the job done offensively. He's created plays, a couple of beautiful plays yesterday. I didn't know he had this in him. Remember, he hasn't been around very long since he came in that trade from Buffalo. 
but he also can kill penalties and win draws on the right side of the circle. The Penguins don't have a lot of that. In fact, right-handed centermen, they only have one, and it's him. And there are situations where the coaches, particularly in defensive draws, really, really will insist on having that right-handed guy and miss it when they don't. Don't laugh this off. Here's another one. Lafferty can technically slide over to center. Sullivan brought this up yesterday when I asked him about Lafferty. I didn't mention anything about a positional switch or versatility. He brought it up. I just asked what he thought of Lafferty in general. He brought that up. So is some of this preparing for injuries? Is some of this looking at Jared McCann a little bit skeptically? You know, maybe I'm pushing this a little bit too far, but I'm just trying to share some of the thoughts that I had with you. Mostly from the positive standpoint, at the way these two guys who entered this scenario as having virtually no chance of cracking the lineup have made a real push. And the last thing I'll offer on this is that Martin has a lot of sway in the coach's room when it comes to one thing specifically. That's getting the penalty-killing forwards he wants. Do not underestimate that when it comes to building this lineup. Yes, Sullivan does have a fourth line that has three penalty killers on it. That's what you want. That's good. He's also very lucky that his top goal scorer on the season, meaning Brian Rust, also happens to be not just a penalty killer, but a really good penalty killer. But more is needed. And if Martin sees that as a need, and he makes a very strong case to Sullivan, I think you can see Rodriguez much more likely than Lafferty making into this lineup. But isn't it fun just to talk about anything at all that's lineup related with this group? And good on the coaches, particularly Sullivan, for creating this atmosphere. They pumped these kids up. Sullivan's made that known. They pumped both of them up to go in there and do exactly what they're doing. He wanted them to go in there and push people. They've done that. Now we'll see where it goes. When we come back, a little bit of baseball. Why not? Number one of being a sports writer is never, ever, ever complain about being a sports writer because everybody wants to do it. Or at least they think they do. Until they actually try it and see what's involved. But again, not complaining. Especially after four months of not being able to do the job properly. Yesterday was wonderful. I was, again, over at uh, the Penguins training camp. Was able to keep a really good eye Uh, on the scrimmage and you kind of have to because there aren't any replays you know if you miss the goal I missed one of them I missed the the first Marlowe goal your instinct is actually to look up for a scoreboard and there isn't one there's no replays you just missed it you know you wait for the video to show up online it was fun after that came home wrote one 
column, wrote another piece, wrote a third piece, put out three pieces yesterday from the Penguin scrimmage, promised myself I'd get done by 7.05 p.m. And I was close. As my wife can attest, I pulled it off at 7.07, just in time to watch Pirates and Indians from out in Cleveland. Second exhibition game out of the three that they're playing. Trevor Williams was on the mound. Not all that impressive. Uh, I didn't like his outing. Uh, 55 pitches over two and two-thirds. Derek Shelton had no choice but to go get him. Got to keep him fresh for the first real game he's going to pitch, which is Saturday in St. Louis. Didn't like it. Um, Kept his off-speed upstairs. A lot of solid contact for the outs. The Pirates pitchers in general, between Williams and almost all of the relievers that followed, were very fortunate to get the outfield defense they got from Gerard Dyson, Guillermo Heredia, uh, and then, of course, the great Cole Tucker catch in center field up against the wall that's going to be shown on all of the national Highlight shows, I'm sure, for the next 24 hours. If In the unlikely event you haven't seen it yet, trust me, you will without having to look very hard. It's a wonderful effort. The not-so-wonderful effort, though, belonged to the bullpen. Um, I'm going to tell you right now that the pen has been, for me, through the entirety of Spring Trainings 1.0 and 2.0, the single biggest disappointment about this roster. It doesn't have to be a disaster. It doesn't have to be what last year's pen was. And that's in large part, before I even get into execution, on the choice of personnel, because it also didn't need to bring back Chris Stratton and Davidis Navarowskis and a lot of other nonsense leftovers from the Neil Huntington roster. Um, I get that they think no, that Navarowskis has a live arm. I'm sure he does by whatever biometrics you care to change. He can't pitch. He can't pitch. I'm sure that Chris Stratton has a spin rate for the ages. That's well documented. You know what he can't do with that spin rate? He can't pitch. He can't pitch. That's a problem. You know, when you're a pitcher and you can't pitch. Bruce Tanner, the son of Chuck Tanner, and a longtime scout for the Detroit Tigers, you'll remember him best as being the bullpen coach here in Pittsburgh. Oh, about 15, 20 years ago. Bruce used to finish every scouting report of his right at the bottom of the of the written piece of paper. Can he pitch or can't he pitch? Like the, the page was filled with all kinds of other details and things that you got from the radar gun and certain effects that his changeup had on lefties and stuff like that. And at the bottom, there was just a can he pitch or can't he pitch? He forced himself to answer the one question that mattered the most in the equation. There are way too many pitchers in baseball today who have a lot of weapons and who make it in large part because baseball, kind of like the NFL and the combines, can be a little bit of a meat market. 
But if you can't pitch, those things don't matter. If you don't have the ability to put the ball where you want, meaning commanding it, if you don't have the ability to read the batter and adjust to his swing and shake off your catcher to get the pitch that you want based off reading that swing or something that you did to the batter to throw him off balance. You know who was great at that was Zach Duke, to throw another name out from that era. Duke was fantastic at reading swings. Had virtually nothing for stuff, if you'll recall. Couldn't break a wet paper towel with his fastball. But could just read swings and ended up having a pretty nice little major league career for a long time because of that. Not everyone can do that. The Pirates right now have, I think, too many relief pitchers who can't pitch. And I think they're going to have to try something. You don't want to panic off of a couple exhibition games and whatever you would call these scrimmages they've been holding at PNC Park, which are so informal, I hate to classify them in any way. But you do have to start thinking about what's my ceiling here with this person or that person? Um, when is enough of Michael Feliz, for example? Uh, Richard Rodriguez struggled last night, too. I wouldn't read much into that. He was just up in the zone. He's never up in the zone. When he gets down in the zone, he'll be pretty tough to beat. I, I wouldn't worry about him. Although, again, he didn't look good either. I'm not letting him off the hook. I'm just saying I think he'll be fine. I don't think that about Feliz, and I definitely don't think that about Stratton and Nevarowskis and a lot of these other guys. It's worrisome. But if you're the Pirates, what do you do about that? Especially with Keone Kella out and Kyle Crick struggling with his own command, you don't even really have a known-slash-set closer at the moment. Do you hand that to Nick Birdie, who's got all of 16 Major League appearances to his name? I mean, the, he looks fantastic. You know, he's throwing 100 Putting the ball where he wants for the most part, 91 wipeout slider that just falls off the face of the planet Earth. Tailing away from righties. Looks great. But do you make him a closer? After he missed almost all of last season to that really ugly arm injury? You know, I'm not inclined to be doing a whole lot of ripping Ben Charrington. He's brand new. He has inherited what I have been describing for years as a virtually barren farm system that on top of having a lack of talent also had a terrible lack of development. So to say that the odds were stacked against Charrington going into this season is an epic understatement. But that didn't stop him from finding a handful of bullpen arms. There are not a lot of good things you have heard me say about Huntington's tenure, and there won't be going forward either. One thing he could do and did often was build a decent bullpen. And the way he did that was by bringing in a bunch of whoever's. Remember that? There'd be like five or six guys show up at every camp and you'd go, who? What? Who's that guy? Next thing you know, they'd make the roster. The next thing you'd know, they'd pile up 60 appearances or whatever it was over the course of the season. You'd be like, where'd that guy come from? That's a lot of what bullpen building is. Any baseball executive will tell you that because they're the most inconsistent performers at any position in the game. Year to year, 
especially after two consecutive good years, they'll tell you, of a relief pitcher, the third year is virtually guaranteed to nosedive. Unless you're like Mariano Rivera or something, you're just due for a massive regression. So that's how Huntington would mitigate against that. I didn't see that from Charrington, and I don't know if that was just because he was determined to make sure that he saves on payroll so that he can spend, ideally, some other day. Uh, I don't know if that's because he didn't like the market. I don't know if that was because maybe he overvalued some of the things that I'd already mentioned about live arms and spin rates and so forth that are here in camp and thinking that Oscar Marine, the new pitching coach, could just tap his wand on their foreheads and make them better. I don't know. I do know that... Right now, entering this season, flying into St. Louis, that's the number one concern. It has to be, and I think with a bullet, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, because I like a lot of other parts of this team more than most people do. Really like that outfield defense. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do if you can't close games out, right? What are you going to do? What I'm going to do is tune in Today at 11 a.m. for more Pirates Talk with Alex Stumpf, who will be back from covering that game in Cleveland, and Noah Hiles. They have a pretty good Pirates podcast that's been really well received. And yes, to answer the question that that some had uh, yesterday upon the debut of that podcast, we also will be working toward building both Steelers and Penguins daily podcasts. But we're not just going to snap our fingers and Uh, pull it off. We want to make sure that we get the right people, do it at the right time. Uh, And and more than anything, just have fun with it. You know, this stuff's supposed to be fun. Thank you for listening to this one. This one was fun. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.